Um, Adam and Jolene Beyer are back from alumni, and we love that because they're going to look after chapel for us here, and they're bringing with them Terry Fossen. They are with the Alberta Baptist Association. You're going to hear more and more about the work that we're doing with ABA, Alberta Baptist Association, and opportunities for you in this room to work with um, ABA churches. But today, I just want to welcome Adam and Jolene Beyer back, our alumni. Adam was a pastoral studies student. Jolene was a worship arts student. And we loved having you guys here. Let me open in prayer and turn it over to them for the whole chapel. Come on up. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of pausing to gather together. We thank you for the buyers. We thank you for the blessing that you've been to them, the blessing that you have in them for us. Now we pray that you would drench them with your Holy Spirit. Give them, we pray, your word, your heart, your mind, that we would hear through them from you. And we pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit here today. In Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. Well, it's a, truly a privilege to be here today. I, um, it's funny when you graduate and move cities and start new jobs, how you feel like four or five years have passed, but it's really only been uh, a few months since I, I was here. Uh, and I loved my time at Prairie. Uh, as Mark mentioned, I'm pastoring at a church within the Alberta Baptist Association, and the, the Alberta Baptist Association is excited to be partnering with Prairie and has recognized Prairie as their official undergrad program school. Um, and just the heart of that is that um, I really recognize and believe that the future of the church, you know, we've got to be educating our young people. Um, and so when it comes to finishing high school and wondering about what's next, um, I I love this place, I believe in this place, and I want to see a ton of, of students coming here to be equipped in their knowledge of God, their knowledge of God's Word, and their heart and desire for God's church and for ministry. So I'm excited for all of you here, um, and excited for what God wants to do in and through you, whether that's in full-time vocational ministry or working in, in various different places. Uh, but this morning we're continuing in our, our talk about David, um, and I need to apologize, I didn't communicate this well with, with Mark, but both my wife and I will be uh, talking this morning. We love doing ministry together. Uh, it is a huge privilege that I have to be able to share a platform with her, whether that's in singing music or writing music or, um, or speaking, and so we're excited to be speaking together this morning. <clears throat> and yeah, today we come to a point in David's story where I think actually Kevin Peters set up the stage so well last week. And he, he describes David on the run and in this place where he is just so in need of a friend. And when we think of the story of David, it, we get caught up so easily in, in the narrative. You know, we think of his calling where, where God handpicks him out of the midst of all these, his brothers who seem so much more qualified than, than he does. And then we read about David and Goliath, and we're just like, wow, man, this David guy, this is amazing. And then Saul, and having lost the kingdom, we know David knows that he's anointed king. I don't know how much David understood what that meant, but he's ministering in the house of Saul. He becomes Saul's son-in-law. He's winning battles left, right, and center. He's ministering in music. He's doing all these things. Um, and then Saul is after him for his life which is a little bit, must have felt for David like driving off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> and this morning for our talk and before we jump into this text, we really wanna, want us to put ourselves in David's place. 
Um, David has just been told by Jonathan that, um, that Saul seeks his life, that he's coming after him, and David is now on the run. He is running for his life. And, and that's where we're picking up the story this morning. But I want us to pause before we dive into it and try to put ourselves where David, put ourselves at the same place where David is. I kind of just want us to think for a second, what on earth must David have been feeling at that moment? You know, the king that he had loved and served faithfully, it says just a couple chapters before, he just had to say goodbye to his best friend and is forced to run from the kingdom that God had previously anointed him to rule over one day. He's probably feeling betrayed, probably feeling angry, confused, heartbroken, and probably confuses what he thought that God had planned for him all came crumbling down a little bit. And I kind of just picture him, I don't know if he was actually like full out sprinting away from from Saul, um, or if he was walking, but I just picture him having flashbacks of all the things that he'd gone through. Um, and I, I kind of just imagine David thinking about all the ways that he thought it might have looked like. I picture him maybe, you know, him and Saul having deep conversations and Saul passing off wisdom of how to lead a kingdom. Um, maybe he pictured Saul passing the crown to him and being proud of him. Um, and instead, Saul is coming after him and has betrayed him in a really deep way. And I wonder if in this moment of running, David ever wonders, God, what are you doing? Where are you? How is this your plan? Are you still there? I know when we read David's story, he is so human that we can relate to him so much. And as I just kind of contemplate on who David is and what he must be going through, I can't help but think of my own story. Um, and I haven't had a moment of running for my life from someone. But when I put myself in David's shoes, I can just imagine the things that he might be feeling. And I can relate to feeling like the dreams that I had and the plans that I thought that God had for me, a moment where all of that shattered. Um, in Adam and I's journey over the past five years, um, five years ago, we started dreaming about having a family. Um, and we found ourselves a few years ago in a doctor's office where the doctor told us that our chances of ever having a family naturally would be less than 1%. And I remember in that moment just feeling crushed. This news catapulted my heart into a tailspin of anxiety, um, which lasted for the next three years. And I was on and off medication and in and out of work. And it was just a really, really difficult season for me. It felt like many of my areas of my life began to fall apart. And though I wasn't on the run from someone trying to take my life, I literally felt like I was running for my life, trying desperately to find something that would keep me from going off an edge in this season. Like David, I felt angry. I felt confused at what on earth God was doing. I felt heartbroken and incredibly afraid. And though I knew in my head that God was good and he was with me, in the quiet of my heart, I started to ask him some big questions, maybe questions that David asked too. God, what are you doing? Where are you? How is this your plan? And are you still there? And maybe you've found yourself asking those types of questions. You know, have you ever found yourself in a place where you're just wrestling with disappointment? The disappointment of unmet expectations. Have you ever found yourself in a place where the way that you thought things should be isn't it all the way things are happening? 
if you found yourself, you know, whether it's coming to prayer and really believing God's called me here, and, and then you, you look at the cost of tuition and you're like, Lord, like, how is this going to work? You know, or, or working so hard uh, to achieve and to do well and things just aren't going the way that you planned. Or maybe coming here and hoping that God's going to give you that clear path, that plan, the next steps, the next five steps, and he just doesn't seem to be speaking. You know, it's not uncommon for us to, to find ourselves dealing with unmet expectations, especially in our relationships with God. The question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in that place? When we're wrestling with unmet expectations, how do we handle that? You know, do we turn inward and try really hard to control the situation and just think, man, if, if I just work hard enough, you know, if God's not going to come through for me, then I'm going to come through for myself. I just got to own this thing. So that's often a temptation. Or maybe we turn outward and think to ourselves, man, if, if God's not going to come through for me, well, I'm just going to go and I'm going to find the best possible solution. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to, you know, go seek the professionals. I'm going to do whatever I can. Or maybe when we're dealing with unmet expectations, we don't want to deal with the emotion. We don't want to deal with the disappointment. And so we just try to avoid what's going on in our hearts. And we find ourselves turning to false comforts. We find ourselves indulging in things that we probably know we shouldn't be indulging in. Instead of turning to God, we turn inward, not wanting to deal with this plate, with this feeling. But when I look at the story of David, I, and I, I identify with the fact that, man, he's dealing with some unmet expectations in this moment. I ask the question, what did David do? What did David do when he was dealing with the pain and frustration of unmet expectations? And that's where we're going to pick it up in, the, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Um, so we'll read the passage together, and then we'll jump more into this question. It'll be up on the screen as well. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 10. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with a young man for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on ex expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gives him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be, placed, to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it's taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Elimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you have struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. 
If you then take that, take it. For there is none like it. There is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. You know, as we read this story, it's interesting. Again, when I think about the narratives of David, a lot of them I'm like, man, there's some really great application that just pops out. You know, we read about David's calling. It's like, yeah, God looks at my heart and I'm outward appearance. We read about David and Goliath. We might think of how God's going to slay the giants in our lives. And I get to this passage and I'm like, what is this about? You know, what am I supposed to take from this passage? It seems different to me than the others. But I believe that this passage teaches us where we need to go where things are falling apart. I think it teaches us where we need to go when things are falling apart. I think the beautiful thing about this passage of Scripture is we see that David does not run from God, but he runs straight to him. He finds himself in the sanctuary. And the first thing that David does when he gets there is he asks for food. Um, In verse 3 and 4, as Adam just read, he says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. The priest says to David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And it was interesting reading that because I just thought of how David would have known that the bread in the sanctuary um, that was available there was bread that was actually offered to the Lord. And this bread um, was actually given to the Levitical priests as their portion, and it was not meant for non-Levites. And besides that, by the time the holy bread was given to the priest to eat, it was no longer fresh, but likely stale. And I can't help but ask that question, why on earth did David go to the sanctuary when he was hungry to get food? Wouldn't it have been easier, and this is my own speculation, but to go to a market to get fresh bread, to fill his hunger and to buy food for his men? Did he not have any money on him? Is that why he went? Were all the restaurants closed in Nob, maybe? Or maybe he was having a craving for stale bread. But why did he choose to come to the sanctuary? And as we think about David being a man after God's own heart, I think he ended up there because he knew God enough to know that the best thing that he could do was to run to him and not away from him. He knew that when he was empty and hungry, that God was the best place to go to be filled. And I can't help but think in the New Testament about the life of Jesus because we see this in him too. My mind jumps right to Matthew 4, 4, with Jesus in the desert being tempted by the devil when he was hungry. And he says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knew where to go when he was empty, when he was busy, when he was tired. He went where God was. I think of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, in the busyness of his ministry, pulling out to spend time with God. And when he was in the garden, sweating drops of blood, Jesus sought to be where God was. He ran to him. And if we look back at this scripture, the second thing that David asks for was a sword. Um, In verses 8 and 9, it tells us that David says to the priest, Have you not got here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword or my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath... The Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, then take it. And I just think that is so profound, because when David comes hungry, 
he comes to the sanctuary and is filled with bread. But when he also comes weak and vulnerable, God provides for him with a sword. And not just any sword, but he's given the sword that was Goliath, whom he slayed with the power of God in a single stone. This sword would have served as a memorial for David, a reminder of who God is and what God had done in David's life. And again, thinking of him as being a man after God's own heart, he knew where to go when he was empty, but he also believed that God would meet him when he came. David trusted in God's character, and he believed that God was a God of mercy and that he would fill his emptiness in that sanctuary of Nob, and God did. David received the grace of God in the sanctuary, and Ahimelech gave David his own portion of bread and the sword of Goliath. When David was weak and vulnerable, he knew to come to God, and he was filled, and he was equipped. And I just wonder if as David left the temple with that bag of bread and a sword around his waist, if he felt a fresh reminder of God's faithfulness to him in the past, that he felt his faithfulness to him right there in that sanctuary in the present, and he was filled with strength and faith to believe that God would be faithful to him as he went from that place. And I think, again, as we enter David's story, it invites us to ask the question to ourselves as well. Where do we run to when life falls short of our expectations, when we're empty, when we're hungry, and when we're vulnerable? I know in our own journey, the biggest temptation for me was to do everything that I could to control something. Sometimes I went to God, like David did, but more often than not, I tried to do everything that I could on my own. And unfortunately, this led to an incredible amount of anxiety, obsessive thinking, um, and all because I didn't run to God, I ran away from him. And I think one of the biggest reasons that I did that was because, like David, I didn't know that God was a God of mercy. I didn't really believe in my heart of hearts that when I came empty to him, that he would fill me. And I wonder if sometimes we believe that too. It's so tempting, especially in ministry, um, you know, when, when the pressures come and you're faced with, man, like, what do I do with this? I, I, I've been blown away how um, when I started ministry, I had this thought that, like, okay, now I'm going to get it right, you know, like, because um, I struggled with it a lot in college, feeling, wrestling with disappointment, wrestling with, okay, God, like, why, why is my story this way? Why isn't it some other way? And the way I dealt with that, it a lot of times wasn't good. And I was like, man, when I get into ministry, I'm going to do this right. <laughs> and it's interesting, the habits that we form, it, it's not just that easy at times. But the invitation of God is to just come to him and to trust him and to know that in a place of emptiness, in a place where we feel defenseless, knowing that God will fill and equip us. What I love about this story is I think that Elimelech has as much to teach us as David. You know, as we read in this passage, we are confronted with a character flaw in David. We read it and we're like, wait a minute, did David just lie? You know, and some commentators are kind of divided on this. Some people wonder whether or not he actually did. But we do know that he wasn't on an urgent message, uh, mission from Saul. Um, and we, we know the situation that David's in and we're reading this we're like, man, David, why are you saying this to the priest? Why don't you just tell him exactly what's going on? And we watch David 
gain something through manipulation. Elimelech lies, Elimelech is lied to by David. And the text doesn't say why that is exactly. Was it to honor King Saul? Was he trying to protect Saul's name? Was it to keep Elimelech from harm? Whatever it was, David's dishonesty leads to personal gain. And we don't know, um, but we do know is that Elimelech helps David in this time of need. And I think we have a lot to learn from him. And the first thing that we see is that Elimelech doesn't play judge in this situation. And we read of Elimelech trembling when David comes. We can tell that he knows that something is up, something is wrong. And I wonder on hearing David if he's like, I don't know if this guy's being honest. But whatever it is, he doesn't press the issue of David's arrival. He does not accuse David. He doesn't call him out. Instead, he, he offers him something. He doesn't demand the truth. What's amazing is that Elimelech instead extends a hand to David and gives to David from his own portion. You know, when we read in, in Leviticus, the bread that is before is in the presence of God, it's taken out and it's, again, it's the stale bread, but it goes to the priests. And it's supposed to fill the priest's stomach. But instead of taking that for himself, he gives something that was meant for him, he gives it to David. The second thing, after not judging, Elimelech offers mercy rather than religion. Again, the bread here is holy. Elimelech has every right to say to David, I'm sorry. He has every right to say to him, do you know what? You need to go into town and go find bread somewhere else. This is, this is the holy bread. He has every right to say that. But instead of offering David religion, he offers him mercy. You know, it's interesting in the Synoptic Gospels because Jesus comments on this account when he's picking um, grain in the field on the Sabbath, the Pharisees come up to him and they accuse him. Like, what are you doing? It's Sabbath. He can't pick grain on the Sabbath. But what's amazing, what we hear from Jesus is that he's teaching that, this, that there is a submission of sacred institutions like Sabbath to the importance of people. And ultimately what we have Jesus teaching us here is that, that we're putting people before the law in these situations. And we see Elimelech here with the situation with David, and he's understanding that God's mercy is the basis that underlies the entire sacrificial system. God's mercy is the basis that underlies the entire sacrificial system. And so he takes that opportunity not to quote to David the passage from Leviticus, but to rather extend to him mercy. And as I look at Elimelech in this passage, I have to ask myself, what do I extend to others who come to me wanting? Again, Elimelech could have denied David. He could have quoted Leviticus and sent him somewhere else. But he doesn't. You know, when we see others who are in need, do we hear God's heart that longs to fill and equip them? Do we hear God's heart that's saying, offer them bread, offer them your portion? And this is really tough, because broken people are not necessarily the easiest people to, to be around. Offering mercy, it might even cost us something. It might cost us of our time, our resources. 
It might cost us things that we believe that we are entitled to. And as this story progresses, we read that Elimelech goes on to lose his life because he helped David. Our prayer for us this morning is that we would learn both from the life of David and from the life of Elimelech. To those of you who are dealing with disappointment, who are looking at your situation in life and feeling like, like God, this isn't the way I wanted my life to be right now. We hope that you can see in David and learn from him that, man, run to God. Run to the sanctuary. Run to the place where God is going to fill and equip you for the season that you find yourself in. Run to the place where God is going to equip you to be faithful in the season that he has you in. And we can learn from Elimelech as well. Maybe we're feeling like we're doing well. We, we, we feel like God is good, and that's awesome. There are those in this room who are probably not doing so well. And to those of you who are doing well, how can you be an Elimelech to those in dorms, to those you see around this campus, to extend to them mercy, to extend to them, whether it's a prayer or a help, giving them your time, your resources, slowing down for them in their time of need, How can you, Prairie, become a sanctuary for the empty and the defenseless? Will you offer for people nourishment and defense? Will you demonstrate to them a God of mercy 